Welcome back, Unimaniacs. I am really excited for today's conversation. It is a topic I've been wanting to discuss for a long time now because it's made a huge difference in my own life as well as several friends and clients. So today you get to meet my therapist and learn about the concept of mental load. Mental load is this laundry list of details that you manage throughout the day. And even in the most progressive households where couples split the chores pretty evenly, there's still often one person who ends up doing most of the thinking work, the anticipating, the planning, the delegating. That's the mental load. So stick around, we're gonna dive in. Welcome back to the podcast that explores eudaimonia. Euda what? Eudaimonia means personal flourishing. I'm Emily Geyser, and I started this podcast to elevate our tools and understanding of flourishing. During this time where so many of us feel tapped out, exhausted, and down, I'm interviewing guests who bring fantastic tools and experience with flourishing to keep us focused on our own sense of well-being and potential. Thanks for spending this time with me. Today, I'm interviewing my therapist, Sarah Courtright. She's been a practicing counseling psychologist for 15 years and specializes in Adlerian, Gestalt, and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for individual counseling, as well as emotion-focused therapy for couples counseling. I have been so grateful to be the beneficiary, beneficiary of your incredible skills, Sarah, and I am excited to... Um, just bring bring this discussion to more people. Well, and I am so thankful to get to work with amazing clients like you. Um, you know, sometimes my clients will say, oh, you're doing so much for me. And I'm like, nope, you are doing way more for me than I am for you. So thank you for always being um, a partner in like my professional growth as well as your personal growth. So, yeah. Interesting. I find that with coaching too, like I learned so much just in the in the process. It's mutually beneficial, right? Hey, I mean, best jobs in the world, right? Is where you get to be part of the helping professional because it only expands you as well. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly the work that you're doing is in high demand right now. Mental health issues are on the rise. And I've heard you talk about your just overflowing practice. So mm-hmm. I know that you have felt the the heightened demand. And I think we could obviously take that that concept a lot of places, but the place I would really love to dive deep with you is this concept of mental load. I know that when I was struggling during COVID, a friend of mine was talking to me about the mental load list that she and her partner made together. And she's like, my therapist taught me about this. You have to contact her. And that was how I met you initially. And then I've gone on to share this mental load list with clients and friends and it's one of these things that I share that just make people's eyes like pop wide open. It just kind of, you know, it boggles the mind because often we don't see these things in a checklist format. So I think people talk about mental loads in different ways. Tell me what you, how you see the mental load and how you help people with that. To me, the definition of mental load is truly like our cognitive effort that we have to put forth, like the, the effort that's involved in just the daily management of life. So obviously when we're in primary relationships that, that can involve everything from 
you know, who connects us and who plans for us and who buys for us and who makes for us. But even on an individual level, it's like, okay, all the things that I have to do to just kind of get through each day. So it's really about responsibilities, but also our decisions. And that's the key. I think a lot of people will take tasks and they'll separate them into like the doing and not really understanding the planning or the decision-making involved before the execution of the task. So to me, mental load kind of encompasses a little bit more than just your to-do list. It's also like, okay, I have to make the bed, but what are the 10 steps I have to do before I make the bed to get this going, to make this happen in our life, to, you know, clean sheets all the way up to like, you know, just the movement of my body. So to me, that's the definition of mental load. And um, I think that, you know, you're, you're correct in the concept of we have a greater awareness of the impact of mental health for certain, you know, that's definitely exploded over the last 25 years. And my personal practice involves the idea that, you know, we know our amygdala activation, our fight or flight system, you know, our primitive response sort of to threat came from this idea of fighting over food, water, shelter, and clothing, that type of element. And we're not doing that in our modern society anymore. I mean, there is no like real struggle for resources for the most part. I mean, sometimes on a subliminal levels, but um, what's fascinating to me is like, okay, we've taken away some of these really intense elements of our personal human struggle from our previous generations and evolutionary past. And now we're still struggling. So what is it all about? And the struggle truly to me is really about like, okay, I had these physical needs, but I'm also a human who has very real emotional needs. And that's what I see in my practice that my clients have an awareness of emotion, like the concepts of feelings, but they're not really tapping into the idea that, okay, there's multiple levels to our human existence, right? We have our emotional happiness, our moral happiness, and our judgmental happiness. And if we don't recognize that like, hey, my emotional, like just just the basics of my emotional needs and getting those met is a part of my required daily activity. It's part of our mental load. Um, And that tends to be where we're dissatisfied and we're uncomfortable and we feel that sense of either longing or suffering. So is there an easy answer to how we satisfy that emotional need then? Okay. Well, you might've remembered, but when we first start counseling, I tend to give people an emotional need audit. And basically this is what all the social research has said that like, here are your emotional needs. Where are they getting met? And we have to really identify the line between an emotional need and emotional greed. Like for instance, all humans have a need for control, but we can get really greedy very easily with the idea of control because there is so much that we don't get to know or understand yet that is future focused that we don't get to manipulate, but we tend to like fixate on those elements. I know the average human spends about 12% of their day focused on the future. So they're really kind of robbing themselves of some of that time that really needs to be focused on the now. Um, But to me, the, the idea being that, okay, I need to establish what my true emotional needs are. You can go onto, there's a great website. The Human Givens is an institute out of um, Ireland and England, and they have an emotional needs audit. And that's the same one that I give to all my clients. Um, And it goes through things like control, giving attention, getting attention, um, 
physical acceptance, you know, emotional acceptance, um, a need for privacy, all of those other things. But to me, a little sort of like easy way to access this, maybe for your listeners is like, okay, I'm a person. And as a person, I need to concentrate on what are my three P's. And to me, that's purpose, right? Like, what is my purpose? What is like, what is the way that I know that I can feel power? That's my second P. And then what are the ways that I've established an understanding of what I need for peace? So if you are thinking about my emotional needs and you really want to simplify it as easily as possible, just go to the three P's. What is my purpose? How do I find power? Where do I find peace? And that sometimes is an easy concept, but I can't tell you how many clients I work with that are like, I've never explored this idea in my life before. So purpose, power, and peace are a good starting point. So can you help make the connection for me? If somebody really focuses on these three P's and feels grounded in it, how does that relate to mental load? Okay. So a really good element of mental load is first to establish what am I doing? What are all these things that I'm truly doing? And yes, the audit that um, I tend to give is sort of action oriented, but I encourage clients like, Hey, think about the mental component to all of this as well. So, um, you know, who plans vacations, right? That might be one element on your um, mental load sheet, but planning a vacation has so many components. And so we need to, you know, identify the, the, the concepts too of like, okay, pleasing the people that I'm going on vacation with, you know, doing the additional research involved. So there's lots of elements to mental load. But to me, if you're thinking about, does this align itself with my purpose, my power and peace, then that gives you a very good way to sort of look at mental load and say, what are the things I'm doing that I just need to stop like I need to give to someone else because maybe it's their peace or their power or their purpose. And I, if I'm taking it on and taking so much on, then um, that's robbing them of that opportunity. But if it doesn't feel like it aligns with your purpose, your power, or your peace, like as humans, we really should be like, hey, I'm going to stop. Like no more of this. I know in my own marriage, I'm not really fulfilled by cooking. Like some people truly are, and it is not my jam. Um, and I noticed, um, last year I sort of really challenged my husband, like, can you take this piece over? Like, can you play this part where this hat is not fun for me? I don't enjoy it. I don't like the mental load components of it. Like going to the grocery store, doing the meal planning, like all that felt really tedious for me. He's trying when it comes to taking it over, but I'm sensing that it's really increasing his purpose. It's really giving him a, a process of power and understanding of our family dynamic. And he's almost more at peace with the fact that like he's spending more time in the kitchen, which I don't think he would have ever connected to before until he was sort of forced into it. So sometimes we can shift our mental load components within our primary relationships, our family structure, and it really can have these incredible positive impacts on all the other people we love as well. And then it makes us happier. I'm much happier not cooking. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yes. Yes, um, and it gives me more time to do what I love. Mm -hmm. And so then what would you say just real like specifically about a task that nobody wants, right? Like maybe everybody despises folding laundry. It still has to get done. So then what? So then that's that time to really focus on a seasonal approach. You know, I don't encourage the idea of like a weekly trade-off except 10, in, you know, in tendency when it comes to like how we're raising our children. 
like maybe even monthly is better for them. Like one person emptied the dishwasher, the other person load, you know, too much shift and change doesn't really help you embrace a, a task. And sometimes it doesn't help you learn the lesson from whatever that task might be. Um, and oftentimes it doesn't give you enough like uh, exposure to the activity for it to just neutralize instead of being negative. But a seasonal approach is a really good way to look at it. So, hey, there's this thing that none of us really like to do. It's not a hat that any of us want to wear. How can we sort of separate those things equally, right? Like maybe there's 10 items on our mental load or tasking sheet that nobody wants to pick up. Um, but this is part of life. Sometimes we just have to. And then that's a really good time to look at outsourcing also. Like, is there a way that like, hey, this doesn't serve any of us? Is it necessary? Um, is there an outsourcing option? If not, um, then can we take a seasonal? I'll take this season, you take next season, we take the next season. The reason I also promote a seasonal approach is that most humans have a very different emotional energy dependent on the season. I'm a winter girl. So I'm like more likely to be like, Hey, I'll take those yucky tasks on during the winter. They don't bother me versus my daughter is very much a summer kid. And she is like, I hate the winter. I don't like snow. I don't like darkness. And it really impacts her more. So I wouldn't put on a heavy mental load task for her or something she doesn't enjoy when it's just not her season. I love that. It's so mindful and intentional. Try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As you said, these are a lot of the physical needs, right, that we can see and we can actually like quantify on a list. Mm -hmm. I think a big piece of the mental load when I talk to friends and clients that is the piece that's like building resentment and just kind of the distance in a relationship are these the mental gymnastics that I'm I'm going to speak broadly, but in, in my experience, it's like the women are talking about the mental gymnastics that they're taking on of learning parenting strategies, and then not only like doing the research of which parenting strategy is the effective one, making the decisions, and then also relaying those strategies to their partner, right? Or, and that's, that's just one example of all those anticipating needs and whose jersey needs to be clean this week for a game, these sorts of tasks. Is there a way to share that? The, the challenging aspect, right, is that, you know, dependent on where you are in male-dominated versus female-dominated traits, because we are all very um, different in that element. Like I am, you know, identify as a female, but I tend to have very male-dominated traits in many areas. And I recognize that. Um, you know, my husband identifies as a man and he, he tends to have some more feminine traits than other elements. Um, and so sometimes I have to notice like, oh, he's, he's taking this on more emotionally than I would, or other times he has to recognize like, oh, she's got an emotional component to this that I don't see. So staying very open-minded and trying to fight against gender roles a little bit and more along the lines of trait expressions, I think is a, a first step. Love that. Second, yeah. So a second one would be you know, to really just embrace and own. And I, I wish this was more of our early childhood development understanding, embrace and own that feelings matter, but they don't matter as much as we think they do. So the key thing is like, okay, here's my feeling about a situation. Here's my mental load. Here's my frustration. Here's my irritation. Or here's like this thing that I see as a component of us being effective in this tasking. 
let me take the feeling and let me just kind of cut it in half because no matter what, my feelings are impacted by so many things that are not in my partner. They're only in me. They're unique to my DNA, my origin, my cellular makeup. And so although my feelings matter and they really are like, to me, the concept of, Hey, our feelings don't just matter. They're what mattering means. Like it's a Daniel Gilbert quote that I just, just love feelings. Don't just matter. They are what mattering means. Like if we are going to matter, if we have a sense of purpose, it's truly like, we can't separate the concept that the feelings are the basis of this getting kind of back to the mental load component. It's like, okay, where are we in the, the premise of this being a part of our emotional structure? It's very part of my emotional structure, like cleanliness and orderliness. That's just important to me. It makes me feel so much better. It's just an essential component of like who I am. I'm you know, very visual. I like things, um, you know, I'm sort of exacting and, and I have an aesthetic, you know, interest. And I express that interest constantly because I feel like my environment reflecting who I am is very important to my emotional health. There are other people I've met in my life, many dear friends and family members who are like, I don't get that at all. Who cares if there's dog hair on the floor or if your curtains match your rug or whatever. Um, So we have to look at like whose feelings are involved in this mental load. When something's more important to you, as far as feeling, maybe take that on, recognize, like, I can't put that on other people. They're never going to attach to it the same way I would, but also honoring your partnerships and knowing like my kids, my spouse, my family members, they have their own unique set of emotional connections and what matters to them. And I should honor that as well. So that's a good way to look at the mental load piece, trying to convince our partner about the importance of mental load should not be a challenge, right? Like I hope that we're married to intuitive people who understand like, yeah, there's more involved in getting the oil changed than just driving the car to the oil change place, right? There's finding the, you know, the moment in our schedule and like making sure that the timing works for our kids and, you know, all of those things. If your car's out of commission for even an hour or two, like there's a inconvenience to that. There's a strategy that's involved. But do you think you're sensing from friends, other family members, your experiential background, that that's the crux of the issue is that partners tend to not understand mental load. Like they don't see that in their own lives. Um, I think it's two part. I'll speak about my own experience with this personally, but first I will, I think a lot of times because it happens so seamlessly there, the people that take on less mental load don't really understand the weight of it. Yeah. And I, and I'll speak about that personally, when maybe, you know, my husband and I both saw you for couples counseling. And one of the first things that we did was the mental load checklist, which mm-hmm. threw us into quite a tizzy and thank God you helped us piece our marriage back together so beautifully, but this was a big issue. And I think it was, um, you know, if one person feels really tapped out and the other person just beautifully makes it all happen, like, don't ask questions, just keep it going. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that that can be a lot of of it. Like, if if it's not impacting one person negatively, and the the ship is moving forward, like let's just keep it going mm-hmm. until the other person says, "Finally, like I can't do this anymore." But I know, like amongst my friends, we tend to 
wonder about ourselves first before we identify like, oh, wait, it's this mental load piece. First, it becomes like, I feel like I'm an asshole. Then there's like shame and like, I need to fix myself and do something better in this relationship because I just feel annoyed. It takes a little while or the expert of a therapist to help bring the mental load piece to light, I think. Right. Yeah. So before you attack your own personal perfection, right, like just do a quick assessment. And then, you know, I really hope that one of the the things that people can concentrate on, especially prior to marriage or permanent commitment within a relationship is, hey, I better pick someone who, even if they don't have the awareness now, if we talk through something and the awareness is evident, right? Like through an assessment, through a, um, you know, a counselor, through a knowledge expert, are they willing to adapt? Are they willing to say, okay, let's make some change because now we have this awareness. If you're feeling tapped out and exhausted, it's important to understand the role of diet and lifestyle. What you put in your body and how you treat your body is going to literally impact how you feel in your body. Every new cell of your body is formed from the foods you consume. These nutrients and other lifestyle practices impact everything, like how you feel, how you move, your self-talk, your relationships, your clarity of thought, your quality of life. This concept is key to your health and longevity. The mind and body cannot be separated. Neither can the gut-brain access. So in my coaching, I address the whole person. Digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and more. So you can experience overall joy and ease. I have a couple of openings in my practice, and I would love to work with you if you're feeling overwhelmed, stuck, hormonal, sleepless, confused, sick, or tired. You can read more about my coaching on my website and sign up for a free consultation call. The links are in the show notes. My husband and I did that mental load sheet. Um, You know, there's something like a hundred items on it. And he's like, hands it to me a little guiltily. And it's like, I do eight of these. If you would like your own copy of the mental load checklist, you can email me at Emily at emilygeiser.com. Link for that is in the show notes. You can also always DM me on Instagram. And I was like, okay. And so he's like, we need to correct that. He realized it. He was aware of it. But that knowledge piece of like, wait, this really is all the things that have to get done in our lives. This isn't even like fluff stuff. And I'm expecting my partner who works full time is a primary parent to our kids and is also an equal money earner to do all of this. And I do eight. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm, the beauty is I don't have to shame. Like there's no shaming involved, but he's like, that's not okay. That's not cool. But he's not good with that. So certainly make sure you're picking a partner when there's an awareness piece of, Hey, we can do better that they're like, yeah, we should do better. Yeah. And so for people who are listening, who have already picked their partners (laughs) and are also feeling like, oh gosh, mental load, mine is, ours is off balance in our relationship. What's a great starting place? Uh, Slice off the easiest piece, right? So if, you know, there's such a disparity in the idea of awareness of mental load, the first question would be like, do you see why this matters to our marriage? And hopefully your, your partnership can be like, 
I give, I can give you the emotional reason why this matters, right? Not just because like, oh, you're tired, but the emotional reason of why this matters. So hopefully the first element is, is empathy, right? Like, can, can we make sure this is an empathy building exercise? The second is to identify maybe some negative cycles, right? So if a partner is immediately defensive about these concepts of mental load, is withdrawn about the concepts of mental load, is sort of um, appeasing you, even though there's not going to be a commitment to real change, um, then that it, that's a source of like, okay, we have other work to do besides just balancing the mental load. But in the process of expressing like why these types of things matter, you know, everyone has a personal, a personal reason. And for some people, it might be, I saw one of my parents work their fingers to the bone while the other one sat in a recliner or on the couch or, you know, was checked out in the bedroom. And so this reminds me of my family's marriage or my, my family of origin relationships. And that's real triggering, right? Or, you know, there's just this like, Hey, I had these ideas of what my long-term commitment to someone would look like, and it felt very balanced. That was an important part of my, you know, energy or upbringing. I think for many women, that's an important part of our womanhood. There's not too many women that are like, I want to be somebody's servant. <laughs> I get to feel like the 1950s and I want no money or say, you know, that's just not how we are. That's not our fabric, but we are often in, you know, still, there's just no doubt there's, there are discrepancies in how women are paid, valued, and still the amount of mental load that we take on in our culture for certain. And I'm curious if you would even back it up further and recommend that everybody have a mental load checklist as a starting point for these conversations. Oh, yes. If you're going to take your feelings and you're going to cut them in half just a little bit, then you you've got to recognize the replacement is fact, right? Like if I'm going to take my feelings down just a notch, then I have to replace it with fact. And fact is like, okay, it's on paper what we decide together. Those are our facts, right? Um, fact is like, let's look into psychological research. Let's look at peer reviewed journals. Let's explore, um, you know, what some really important knowledge is coming out of our um, higher education institutions and see what people are studying in regard to these things. I have to own, if I'm putting on a hat every single day that's too tight, that I don't like, that I think is ugly, that doesn't work for me, then I need to take that hat off. And I need to really recognize that as a person, my connection to purpose and power and peace is a individual journey and my partnerships, the family that I've created, the people I surround myself with, those are choices that I'm making in, in hoping that they support my personal journey. But it's still, you know, we still have to own, like, what are the mental loads I'm taking on that I'm, I'm truly resentful about? And why do I keep doing them? Like, what's, what's the mental load that's self-induced? versus just a byproduct of busy life. So I remember um, you sent me a mental load checklist sheet. And then you also said, this might not cover everything. I think it was, it, you know, I started working with you at a time that um, I had one child applying for colleges. You're like, nothing about that is on the mental load list, right? And that was a huge project happening in our family. Um, so I love the idea. I think people can probably find mental load 
sheets online. Yeah. Or, you know, enough, you know, definition or description that they could come up with their own list. Right. And then go, go through and just really pay attention to what you're doing during the day. I mean, I'll throw in like, I am in charge. I do love cooking and I am in charge of menu planning and it's not something that I sit down and do at one specific time. I'll see a recipe on Monday that I'll add to the list. So it's this kind of ongoing project. Um, and so I think when people are thinking about their mental load and adding to the mental load checklist to be thinking about like, what are you doing all day long that you normally don't even give attention to? Cause you're just doing it. You're calling the dentist and making an appointment quickly while you've got five minutes between meetings, right? <laughs> Yeah, you're driving in the car and real fast, like, oh, I have to call this person, this person, this person. Exactly. Or hands-free, right? Yeah. Yeah. Folding Mm -hmm. laundry while your Zoom camera's off. I mean, these are the things that we're doing now. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the... The idea being, it's it's great to, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to provide um, a PDF to you that you are free to spread around the world um, to anyone who wants it. Cool. Um, it's nice to have that initial framework. So you sort of like, okay, somebody's already done some of the baseline work for me, but don't forget that every component of I'm trying to improve our spiritual and, and mental health within my family requires additional effort on your part. And so going through that and saying, okay, this one's just not us. You'll notice I, the the mental load sheet that I created for my client base, the first page is sort of like human existence. And the second one is about parenting mostly because I have a lot of clients who aren't parents. And so some of that stuff doesn't always apply. Some of it does, Um, but taking that list. And then I truly encourage a yearly visit. What are the evolutions in our mental load requirements as we age, as our children age, as our home ages, as our cars age, as our careers develop, like as we make um, major changes or major purchases in life, all of those things have a mental load component. So at least at minimum, a yearly visit on that list is really good. But I will say, you know, our tendency within relationships is we create an intention. It lasts for about three weeks, pretty strong. Then we start to fall off and that falling off period is about six more weeks. And then we're about in a three week segment of like, okay, we're not doing what we said we were going to do anymore. And we're mad. The resentment is building. It's increasing emotional distress. And then we finally hit our breaking point. And that happens. If you notice three, six, three, pretty much every season. (laughs) I was just thinking about the seasonal cycle. Yes. So if we're smart, right, we're really approaching this from a seasonal perspective, knowing that, hey, we got to have like kind of a, a, a sort of come to Jesus in regard to our mental load. Um, as the seasons change, that's sort of how our human, you know, our human selves evolve and interact anyway. So it's you know, leaning into like, Hey, mother nature, (laughs) she was pretty smart about all of these elements. And, um, I need to approach things seasonally as well to really kind of, you know, commit to my growth in the release and understanding of mental load. A lot of times my clients, especially in couples counseling, their, their goal is reduction in conflict. And I'm like, Oh no, no, you really need to think about the goal being that, I accept that we will have conflict and I embrace that this is an opportunity for for us to increase our love for each other. But what I really need to reduce is that sense of resentment because that we know is the relationship killer. If you are starting to be like, you 
you know, that, that element of, I resent you because I'm an appreciator. I resent you because you take me for granted. I resent you because there's an imbalance in our relationship. That's where relationships really can falter. Well, so you just opened a big can of worms there. Um, so without going too far astray, because we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. Do you think that the mental load component is a good starting place for working with resentment? Or is there a better place for people who are listening and are resonating with this idea of resentment towards their partner? What is the best place to start? Well, certainly, you know, the best place to start is your internal sense of validation, right? Like, what are you doing to cultivate like my judgmental, my emotional and my moral happiness independently of my relationships? A good perspective is to just remember, hey, the people we choose to share our life with, it's still circumstantial and our circumstances only affect about 10% of our total wellness. And we, you know, obviously when those things are off, it feels much heavier than 10%. Um, but no matter what your personal work is still the number one priority, the idea that, you know, patience with human imperfection is necessary, you know, and that I think in itself can reduce your mental load. I want to ask you one question that I've been asking all my guests. And that is, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it? Yes, yes, yes. I absolutely believe the premise that our rituals equal our freedom Uh, I am not the most disciplined person in the world. So I fall off my bandwagon and I get back on every season as much as possible. But my morning rituals involve a lot of that element of that 40%. So the first thing I do is um, I don't break fast typically until about 16 hours of fasting. And that's more for my neurological health than anything else. So I just have coffee in the morning and then I go to either a yoga class, a spin class, or I do some sort of long walk with the dogs, or if I'm training for a race, I try to run. (laughs) So I really focus on the idea like, Hey, if I'm going to set myself up for success, a best practice is movement in the morning. That's it. Um, and then I really try to, you know, make sure that I'm on task when it comes to, okay, what else do I have coming my way? I focus on that judgmental happiness, which is like the action steps I need to take the events, the foods, the activities, that type of thing. Um, Typically when I'm exercising, my post-exercise process, my post-movement process will be some sort of nice element of self-care. So I I call it my power hour every morning. Um, And for certain, I'm a big person on like spiritual ritualistic examination. I do a compassion meditation every single day. Sometimes I have to put it in at like when I'm stopped at a stoplight, but Um, Most of the time I try to find like a little bit of space either in the car at the gym or on a yoga mat to do a compassion meditation. So that's kind of my morning rituals. I definitely tap in with the people I love. I'm always like, do you need me to do anything for you this morning? Because I'm a firm believer, like, you know, if I'm going to be hoping that they serve the world, then I have to serve, I have to be a real world example of service for them. And it's not coddling in any way. My kids are very independent. My husband's very independent, but it's just a a quick little reminder of that I'm here for you. So I check in with them about the service elements of each day. If they need anything from me, I make sure that, um, you know, I'm attentive to my animals. They love their morning love. And uh, so that's my morning routine. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yes. Thanks so much. Great. We will, I will let everybody know how to find you in the show notes and they can reach out to you. And I will also grab that mental load um, 
sheet from you and share that as well. Thank you so much for your time here today. Oh, thank you. And this was such a pleasure. If you're still listening, thanks so much for sticking around. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass along to a friend. You can help others find this podcast more easily by taking a moment to rate and review. And if you're curious what it's like to work with me or just want to learn more about the work I do in optimizing your own wellness, head to my website, emilygeiser.com. You can connect with me directly on Instagram at emilygeiser. Links for those are in the show notes. I'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Until then, think good thoughts and go for them.